Welcome to this week's edition of An Organic Conversation, a show about food, ecology, stories from the land, recipes, nature, sustainability, interconnectedness, relationships, and life itself. We had a couple of great episodes on gardening this year, on how to garden in small spaces, or even on your windowsill, or how to grow something indoors altogether. We also had show a show on how to get started if you wanted to have this year be your very first year on how to grow any of your own food. In this hour, we're speaking with a gardening expert on what to do with your garden in this crucial time of year, because whatever effort we put into our beds and planter pots right now will define or at least influence next year's gardening season. Putting your garden to bed, valuable preparations for winter and spring. Our topic today, here on An Organic Conversation, we are your hosts, Helga Helberg. Mark Mulcahy. And Sitarani Palomar. Such an interesting approach, right, about taking care of your garden in an off-season, really. I think that it's easy to assume, at least I've assumed, that gardening is a springtime or a summertime hobby. And it really is when you take on a hobby, you take on a hobby for the whole year. It's not selective. But this is a time when you are actually taking care of it so that it can rest. And that got me thinking about taking care of ourselves because we're heading into cold and flu season. I know, I think all of us on the team have been sick at least once, maybe twice. A lot of people I know, it's just one of those years where you're getting a really bad cold, it's persistent. And it brings up an interesting question about the relationship between cold and flu, so your general health and stress. Because mm. we just got up running on TalkStream <laughs> Network. We're now doing a video podcast in addition mm. to our, our audio podcast, which is so exciting. It's also was a fair amount of work getting ready. And I think that the amount of stress may have contributed to my immune system being weakened. But Oh, yeah, you were sick for a week. But we found this really interesting TED Talk about the effects of stress on the body, Mark. Well, it's so fascinating. I've watched it twice now. I mean, I just was, because I've always believed that, of course, we have complete control over our health and that if we get too stressed, it's going to make us sick. And so this interesting study where they took, it was for eight years, 30,000 U.S. citizens, and they asked them, you know, how much stress do you have in your life? And does stress affect your health? Those are two of the major questions. The people who said that stress had a major effect on their health, or they believed that stress could make them sick or had an effect on their health, right? Of the people who said yes to that, after the study, they went and checked the obituaries. And there was a 43% higher ratio of people who believed that stress made you sick or affected your health of those people dying than people who didn't believe that it did. Wow, the power of the power of thought of what we believe. Yeah. What we believe. Because because what <laughs> they found amazing. was that you have this stress, you can actually interpret what are the the physical indicators of stress, like pounding heart or sweat. You can interpret it as your body preparing you for a challenge in a way that causes you to be more courageous. And the people who had those stress symptoms, if they didn't think stress was bad for their health, but they thought that stress, that those symptoms were not stressful, but actually preparing them for a task, they didn't have these instances of, of death, of, of health-related negative 
effects of, of that response. Does, do they say in the study that it's really they correlated to that or, you know, demographic-wise? They're, they're just saying, they're just they saying that. I mean, there's so many aspects that, that lead to, to death, obviously. Um, to say it is the, I mean, it's just interesting, 43%, it's not like 8%. It's half of the people who, who believed. Forty-three percent of the people who believe uh, who believe that stress, that will stress make sick. was detrimental to you or affected your health adversely. <laughs> we got well, the power of mind, the power of thought, and you know, to right back to the show topic of gardening now in fall, um, it is even when you think you don't need to, it's good to pay attention. Um, what you can do to prepare yourself for, in this case, the spring season of gardening, when you know the holidays are coming up and that is a stressful time. To prepare well for stress, but then also, as we now know, take it as a challenge and a wonderful reminder or that stresses could actually be good, that it's just preparing you for preparing <laughs> an you for the task at hand. And there was even more I mean, I could unpack this study. We could unpack this study for an entire hour I think where it would they be talk a great about show, yeah. it would be a great show. Mm. We can't summarize the entire thing, the entire TED talk in this short bit of time, but we should post the link on our Facebook page. And and I wanna I wanna say something occurred for me this year before I even knew about this study. Is as you know, I'm in airports on planes, oh, I mean traveling all the time. nonstop, yeah. And so I used to get pretty stressed out when I realized the flight was coming in late and I'd have a short connection or maybe I'd look up and there's a delay or whatever it was. I used to kind of allow myself to kind of go to that place of sure. elevated heart rate and like, oh, holy heck, you know, this is happening to me. And this year uh, I consciously did something different. And I decided in the beginning of the year, and I'm not sure why I did this, but I said, I am not going to run for a flight. I'm going to, if I hear that it's late, I'm just going to look and start looking up what my extra options are and that type of thing. I changed my perspective on it completely. And I had, you, as I told you, I would email, I text yeah. you guys and then, oh, my flight's delayed and that kind of stuff. And I just took it into perspective. And if I had to get in a customer service line, I walked up and said, how are you doing today? Yeah. And, and <laughs> you know, gosh, you know, it must be kind of tough with all these people and all this stuff. And I just changed my complete perspective. And from that, I got on all alternative flights. I always, I always got where I was going. A lot of times I was one of the last people to get on a flight. And I also recognized that I was making a difference in somebody else's day because sure. my perspective on it was like, okay, what can we do here? Yeah. What, what's our options? And it changed everything for me. And Mark, you are at the healthiest you've been this year. <laughs> really? Really, you look great. Yes, if you listen to us on one of our many stations um, or want to find out where we are streaming, go to anorganicconversation.com. Uh, and if you want to see how happy and healthy Mark looks, go to talkstreamnetwork.com, where the show now is a video podcast as well. And also, of course, always facebook.com forward slash an organic conversation for tips and including this study that we found on stress and how we may perceive stress and that how we may perceive it changes perhaps the outcome. You're listening to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helber. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And we're talking about the final days of the gardening season in this episode, putting your garden to bed, valuable preparations for winter and spring. But before we dive into that topic fully, here's our weekly tip from the world of health and beauty. Here's our own Chef Sita and her holistic. 
arbeite. Well, today I want to talk about one of my favorite ingredients. And it's tahini, which is a sesame nut butter. You know, you get almond butter, you call it almond butter. You get sesame butter, you call it tahini. And tahini is a great source of calcium. Really fantastic, particularly for people who don't eat dairy. And it's a great source of lysine, which is an essential amino acid that can oftentimes be deficient in a vegetarian and a vegan diet. And it's really important for your health. So the other thing about tahini that I just love is it's flat out delicious creamy perfection <laughs> and tahini is wonderful mixed in sauces it thickens it adds a nutty flavor it is one of the primary ingredients in hummus so it does also create a, um, a middle eastern flavor to it i use it in this dish um, it's a it's a really delicious thick soup that's a garlic garbanzo bean soup with wilted spinach and it helps to add this great silky texture so one of the easiest ways to incorporate tahini in your diet if you're not eating tahini right now is with a simple tahini sauce and my simple tahini sauce is three ingredients it's killer easy it's equal parts tahini and water and a little bit of tamari. And tamari is basically, it's a wheat-free soy sauce, so it gives you that salty flavor. It also gives you that umami effect. And if you would like, you can add fresh or dried dill to the dish. It's not necessary, but you can, and it gives it a nice herb flavor. And that's it. That's it. It's really just three ingredients and dill if you would like to add it. Or you could do any other combination of spices if you wanted to. You could also add lemon juice to make it a little more tart. You could add rice vinegar. You could add maple syrup to make it a little bit sweeter. But there are lots of things you can play with to get the optimal flavor for however you're going to use it. So ways that you can use it. I love to drizzle it over sweet potatoes mm. and quinoa primarily I think it's delicious over dark leafy greens. So I'll cut really thin slices of kale or collard greens and serve it with brown rice or quinoa or sweet potato, something really, really simple, and pour this tahini sauce over it, and it's so satisfying. Other things you can do with tahini, once you try this, if you love it and you become an addict like I am, you can use it as a replacement for the mayonnaise that you would use in a cabbage slaw, like a tahini-based wow. coleslaw. You can combine it with yogurt or with cashew cream to make a really creamy dip. You could also use za'atar seasoning if you want to keep going with that Middle Eastern flavor combination and cumin and use it for wraps. You can use it to dip artichokes. You can use it um, to dip cucumbers. I love to even just pour it over sliced cucumber. Lots of different things you can do with this. So get out there, try some tahini if it's relatively new for you, and report back what great things you've done with it. And that was this week's Holistic Bite. Thank you, Sita. That's Chef Sita and her Holistic Bite. Ooh, mommy. <laughs> umami. <laughs> umami I, often was, I didn't realize that tahini was giving me that umami effect, <laughs> yeah. but now I know. Have you ever had... It's it's yeah. actually the tamari. And I oh, think I talked about oh, this once mommy, before mommy. on the show. Yeah. But but um, umami is that kind of like that elusive flavor that makes yep. something taste so satisfying. And it usually comes from meat and dairy. Okay. And that's why, you know, people say, well, I'm not getting the effect now that I'm, I've cut out all my animal proteins. But it is also in mushrooms <clears throat> and it is in soy. Because, because it's actually... Um, it's from the L-glutamate or L-glutamine compound that makes it have that flavor that's just totally satisfying. Yeah, we, so you can get that. umami from edamame. 
You can get umami from edamame. Oh, oh my gosh. Mark. Mark, will you write a haiku about where, that? Where did you possibly? <laughs> um, well, so I don't eat a lot of tahini. Now I'm going to reconsider that. But when you start talking about, I don't need an excuse to eat kale or any any greens, but that sounds amazing to have that sauce over your greens. And it makes me realize that I don't want to just eat a tahini bit, right? <laughs> tahini bit. <laughs> Yeah. That's two in a, a row. Yeah. Yeah. Good job. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, and actually with kale, that's my favorite way of eating it because the kale is, you know, very green, um, kind of grassy. The tahini almost en- adds like a sweet overtone to it. It's delicious. It's oh, I so can't wait. creamy yeah. and nutty. Ooh, oh, yeah, mommy. for sure. You're listening to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. <laughs> I'm Mark, Mark Umami. Umami. <laughs> 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 and I'm Sita Ronnie Palomar. Our topic in this hour is putting your garden to bed. Valuable preparations for winter and spring. And that may be your garden on your windowsill or even your planter boxes or herb boxes inside. There's a lot um, to know so you can look forward to an awesome gardening season next year. That and more when we come back right after the break. Stay tuned. Have a catering business or planning a party or simply just love organic produce? If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, walk right in to Earl's Organic Produce. Anyone can buy directly from us at wholesale prices. You don't have to be a natural food store to enjoy the freshest and most delicious organic produce. We are located on the San Francisco Produce Market at 2101 Gerald Avenue. We look forward to seeing you. Walk-in hours are Monday through Friday throughout the night from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. Minimum purchase is one box or flat, cash or checks only. For more information, visit earlsorganic.com. Fry Vineyards is America's first organic winery, family-owned and operated since 1980. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Fry organic and biodynamic wines include delicious Cabernet Sauvignon, Zinfandel, Syrah, Chardonnay, and Sauvignon Blanc. Fry Vineyards Mendocino County award-winning wines without added sulfites. Available at grocery stores and online at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Citarani Palomar. Our topic today is putting your garden to bed. Valuable preparations for winter and spring. All the stuff you might want to know to do now so you have a head start or really great season of gardening, even if it's your planter pots on your deck next year. We have a fantastic guest with us in this hour. We're speaking with Cheryl Long, the editor-in-chief of Mother Earth News. That website is motherearthnews.com, who's joining us today from Topeka, Kansas. Cheryl, are you with us? I'm here. (laughs) Hi, Cheryl. Welcome to the show. Yeah, welcome. Thank you. So, Cheryl, um, let's just jump right into it. I mean, it's the time, it's fall, people are looking at their gardens, some people are, are just walking away from their gardens, other people are, <laughs> are very busy in their gardens. You know, what's important right now for to get your garden ready for the cold months? What's actually happening in the soil? I mean, well, give us an idea. Depends, it depends, of course, partly on where you live and partly on what your, what your garden is. If, you're, if you have perennials and you live in a really cold climate, why then it's a good idea to mulch uh, your perennials. It, it kind of pr- protects them from the really hard freezes. Um, but you actually should wait until the ground freezes before you put your mulch down, if you can, uh, because you, you, what, you pre- what you want the mulch to do is prevent 
what they call heaving, where the, the ground freezes and then it thaws and then it freezes and it thaws as the weather fluctuates. And that's hard on the, on the roots of the perennials. It kind of yanks them out of the ground. So you want to put your mulch on, but it's, it's best to wait until it, it gets pretty cold before you do that. Uh, and that's optional, but it does, it does help those plants uh, come through the winter a little better. Does soil go to sleep? No, not really, not really. I mean, in the, in the really far north where, you know, in the northern tier of, of the U.S., um, it's, pretty, it's pretty, pretty drowsy. I mean, there's not a lot of activity because it's so cold and the, the frost is down in the soil. Uh, but in most parts of the U.S., uh, it's, not that, it's not that frozen, and there's all kinds of things going on. And I think for food gardeners, a lot of people don't realize that they, they can have uh, some crops grow right, right through to Christmas time. And, of course, in the south, some people have their best gardens in the fall and winter because they're not fighting all the, the really high heat. So speaking of the geography of place, if we, if we um, you make it, put, put a slice through the U.S. and say um, we the northern, if, if you have two feet of snow, your ground will be frozen and at least all the soil microbes will become dormant or really move, dormant, move, into right, lower, right. move into lower areas. What is the soil temperature where you say that dormantness is taking place? I mean, you can just look at your neighbor and see if he grows anything or she grows anything, but um, it, people might be surprised to know that things would still grow if the soil temperature is you know, above 55 degrees or 50 degrees on average. Well, or What is kind of the cutoff where you say nothing really grows anymore at that level? Well, um, you know, again, it depends on the plants. I mean, some plants are far more tolerant of cold temperatures than others. Some plants can, can withstand hard freezes at night in the, in the 20s, and then they'll, the next day if the sun's bright and, and, and the air is fairly warm, you know, not above freezing, they'll, they'll grow some more. And so what a lot of food gardeners uh, do is, depending again on their climate, They can, they can create a, a, a little bit of protection with just a simple row cover or a plastic cover, what they call low tunnels. And you can grow spinach and uh, parsley and, and uh, leeks and kale uh, right up till the middle of winter in some parts of the country and, of course, all the way through the winter uh, the further south you go. Which is, um, which is amazing. I know a gentleman in Alaska where we're talking, you know, almost permafrost, and he uh -huh. uses the heat of a compost pile that stays warm oh, even yeah, in winter, yeah. and he warms up his tiny, tiny hub houses or basically the plastic cover in a right. bow over his, his beds that you just described, and he grows in Alaska throughout the winter. Um, right. So and people don't realize how much heat there still is in the soil and through the plants themselves if a little bit of cover is applied, right? Right, and, and actually a traditional uh, method, uh, similar to what you just described with the compost, the compost, as if there's a lot of uh, decom decomposing organic matter, the microbes generate heat as they, as they feed on, on, that, uh, on that organic mm -hmm. matter. But what they used to do, what the farmers used to do, was they would take and make what they called a hotbed, and they would do this in, uh, in maybe January or February, uh, and they'd dig a, uh, a sort of a hole a foot or so deep, They'd fill it with fresh manure, then they, well, they would fill it. They'd put about a foot of fresh manure, then they'd put a foot of soil over that, and then they would cover it with a window sash or something. And that, as that manure, that fresh manure decomposed, it was like having a nice heated little uh, greenhouse there, and they would start all their spring, uh, 
seedlings in there and get a, a nice head start on, on the season. Yeah, we are joined today by Cheryl Long, the editor-in-chief of Mother Earth News, who's joining us from Topeka, Kansas. That's MotherEarthNews.com. Uh, in our hour about putting your garden to bed, valuable preparations for winter and spring. So Cheryl, great tips already, particularly I loved about waiting until it freezes to put the mulch down. I want to talk about some of the other things that people can be doing to protect their plants. You talked about protecting perennials. What about things like cover cropping and seed saving that can help you get a head start on a better crop for the spring? Well, I'm so glad you asked me about cover crops because it's really one of my favorite topics for <laughs> fall, uh, fall gardening. Um, I, one of the things that somehow our schools haven't really taught us, I'm not sure why, is that bare soil is, is, is not what you want. You want to have plants growing on your soil all the time. If, you can't, if it's not warm enough to grow your tomatoes and your, and your summer crops, you have to choose different plants, and, and some of those plants are food plants, like I mentioned, the spinach and the kale will do really well, even if temperatures are dropping below freezing at night. Uh, but there are another whole set of crops that we call cover crops that we plant in the fall, and then they, they not only protect the soil, but as they grow in the cold weather, they still will grow. They're putting roots down into the soil, which means they're putting organic matter into the soil so that when they die in the spring or if you pull them out, you have just injected organic matter in the form of the roots down into the soil. And then on top of that, whenever plants are growing, they're, they're using sunshine and photosynthesis to produce carbohydrates. And some of those carbohydrates produce their leaves and makes the plant grow where we can see it, and some of it produces the roots, but the roots actually ooze carbohydrates. They release about 30 to 40% of the carbohydrates that they produce into the soil, and then the bacteria feed on that, and then the protozoa and the nematodes and all the soil life feed on the bacteria around those root zones where, where these sugars and starches are being released into the soil. So basically have these little solar pumps, as long as you can keep live plants on your soil, you're injecting uh, carbohydrates and energy into the soil. Sugar, so which is the food right for... Plants. You have to choose the right cover crops to do that in the winter. And what's that doing for your spring crops then, by doing well, that? Well, it's making the soil more fertile. So then in the spring, you remove the cover crops, or in some cases the frost will, the hard frost in the midwinter will kill them, uh, and then you uh, plant in that soil, and it's just richer than it would have been if you just left it bare. Yeah, nice. Um, Cheryl, we're going to take a quick break, but we sure. want to talk with you. And if you could walk us step by step what a home gardener, or even if you just grow some herbs and some planter pots on your balcony, uh, what are some really simple hands-on ways of applying what material in what order um, when we come back? Putting your garden to bed, our topic in this hour, valuable preparations, preparations for winter and spring with our gardening expert and cover crop lover, Cheryl Long. She's the editor-in-chief of Mother Earth News. That's MotherEarthNews.com. Um, Cheryl, stay with us, and we'll be right back with more. 
Are you interested in making healthy food your profession? Bowman College is a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts. Their professional training programs prepare individuals for successful careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Study at one of four locations in California and Colorado or learn from home in a self-paced mentor distance learning program. Find out more about their classes on holistic nutrition and culinary arts at bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. NextSpace brings together a professional, collaborative workspace with a warm, supportive community. It's a place where you can do your very best work. And now, NextSpace is introducing NextKids, a workspace that also provides great on-site child play care. Hi, I'm Diana Rothschild, founder and chief mom of NextKids. We believe that you can be a better parent and produce better work when you seamlessly integrate work and life. We're better together. Join this conversation at nextkids.us. You're listening to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And our topic today is putting your garden to bed, valuable preparations for winter and spring with our guest, Cheryl Long, who's joining us today from Topeka, Kansas. She's the editor-in-chief of Mother Earth News and an expert on gardening. Um, Cheryl, just before the break, we talked about, um, you know, really like a, hand-holding through these weeks and months if the temperature requires for you to prepare your beds or your your pots um, on your balcony uh, according to the weather can you can you walk us through some uh, just a handful of really hands-on tips of what people do when we talk about mulch when we talk about you know removing all the plants that you are still seeing um, if you know this garden will go to rest for a few months, um, what are the steps that you do in what sequence? Well, if you're gardening in containers um, and if you're in a, a climate where it starts to get really cold and freeze, especially if it gets down below 20, most of those containers are going to need some special attention uh, if you have perennials in them. Um, because the containers are above ground, they get they sort of get colder. They get more of that uh-huh. uh, freezing and thawing that I mentioned. So what I would recommend is if you have perennials in pots that you want to survive the winter and you're in a, in a really cold climate, you do one of two things. You can either uh, uh, dig them into the ground, set, set, set the pot in a hole in the ground and put lots of mulch around it so that it's protected more, or you can wait and when you get the really cold weather, uh, move the move the pots to um, to a, a garage or someplace where they're where they're protected. Maybe even a cool basement, although sometimes modern basements are too warm, and the plants will try to wake up. But so you want to keep them cold, but you want to protect them from really severe freezing. Uh, so that would be my that would that would be my suggestion for people who who are growing in containers. And if you if you're in an area where it's not that cold, um, you know this show is produced in San Francisco for the for the California part, uh, you can grow in many areas and sure, even throughout you can the country. Grow right through the winter, like the yeah. winter vegetables, exactly. What would you do now in the transition? Are you basically starting how you would start in in April or May um, uh, by yeah, cultivating you can, I mean, in the lots soil? Of parts of the lots of parts of the country, you can grow a fall garden. Even uh, I'm in Zone Six, and of course it gets pretty cold here in midwinter. But the falls, uh, I I have just planted kale, spinach turnips in my garden and they'll do well i'll put i'll put some protection over them uh probably uh come uh, late november 
uh, and I'll be harvesting uh, at Christmas time. Oh, lovely. Um, so, Cheryl, I have apple trees at my house. We've got a few things in the garden. And uh, what does it? What's a good rule of thumb for like, what do you leave be? Because there's some things that would be good to, I would think to leave uh, on the, the ground or on the soil and some yeah. things that you want to make sure you get cleaned up so that they maybe don't cause damage or something. It's a, you know, that's a, that's a tricky question because in, in the conventional wisdom often is, oh, clear out all the debris because you don't want anything there for pests to overwinter in. Mm-hmm. The problem is that the beneficial insects that keep the pests in balance also <laughs> overwinter sure. in plant debris. So my advice is to clean it up as much as you want just to make it look better. Take away the really shaggy, scruffy stuff. But don't necessarily completely take everything dead out of your garden unless you know that you have a particular pest problem on a particular crop that overwinters in the soil near that crop um, then if you know that then I would say go ahead and 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 clear it out but unless you know that you have a, a linkage there leave some cover in the garden because you want the beneficial insects uh, to survive and interesting that nature you know plays right along with that when when we in fall, see the leaves fall. That is a natural cover that actually prevents the garden from erosion, right? If the sure, heavy sure. rains leaves fall, are good. Um, that's it's beautiful. great to bring fall leaves into your garden and add extra leaves uh, to the soil. Um, you can actually <laughs> use your fall leaves as your mulch. It prevents erosion. It, it protects the soil, and as the leaves decompose, why they make the soil more so, fertile. And, so when you talk mulch, mulch is anything that covers your your uh, beds, right? It could be like a hay or a straw layer. Hay, it could straw, be leaves. Grass clippings are superb. Grass clippings are are often three, four percent nitrogen. They're they're uh, that's all pretty much all the fertilizer I use in my food garden is is grass clippings uh, because as they decompose, they release nutrients. Leaves are a little less rich in nitrogen, but they have lots of minerals in them. So uh, between those two uh, so-called waste products, if you can uh, bring those in from your neighbors. Um, they're, they're excellent materials to add to your garden and, soil. And you just add a, an inch or two of that, and you're not, you're not working it into the soil? or do You don't you? need to. Uh-huh. You can, but you, just, you certainly don't need to. The earthworms will do that work for you, and, and oh. it'll also just decompose, and kind of, it almost kind of melts away. And you can do them together, doesn't it? It's, oh, yeah, you can do them together, and it's, almost, it's really hard to use too much, too. You can certainly do several inches, um, and it'll, uh, it'll decompose. And if you need to plant, you just rake back the mulch where you want to plant. Mark, you had a great point um, before the show where we talked. You said, you know, apples and, and fallen fruit. I never, you know, should we leave that or not? And it attracts wasps. Yeah, wasps yeah. are actually good. They are beneficial insects in a way. They eat, you know, those are big predators. They eat all the stuff you don't want in terms yeah. of little bugs. What's, what's your take on fallen well, fruit? Well, usually and- there's enough fruit pests that do overwinter, that do uh, part of their life cycle in the soil. And so usually the advice on fallen apples and other fruit is if you can rake them up and remove them, yeah. uh, it's a good idea. Well, Cheryl, we had a, another question for you about whether or not you should feed your, sh- your soil now or if it's better to let it rest. But everything you've been saying about cover cropping, and it, it seems to me like the mulching, all of those things are actually going to be feeding the soil anyway. That's, they that's are, they and, they're, and they're slow release. The, the only uh, thing where you might want to sort of fertilizer. wonder about timing is if you are using a synthetic chemical fertilizer, 
uh, those are those generally are are sort of faster release and they and they can be washed away more easily by rain so usually they recommend that you that you don't really apply those in the fall if you're not planning to grow crops it, again it depends on where you're where you're uh, growing because yeah, in some point. parts of the country you would be fertilizing because you'd be ready to put in some uh, some fall crops so Cheryl I'm a big baseball fan and one of the things that comes along when I'm watching the baseball playoffs are these lawn commercials and things like that um, and one of the things that always occurs to me is they're always saying, okay, feed your soil now, use this product, but come buy this product and then your lawn or your garden will be better in the spring. Right. But what I'm hearing from you is, is that you could do this on your own. If you took some leaves and some yes. grass clippings and just what the natural world or your neighbors could provide you, you're not necessarily having to go out and buy products to put your soil, soil or garden to bed. You actually have it available to you on your own. I, I would agree. I buy almost nothing. Sometimes, sometimes if if I, w- I tell people if their crops are not growing well, they might want to get a soil test because sometimes their soil could the, the pH could be uh, uh, outside the range that the crops like, and so they might need to add some limestone. Uh, it again, it varies a great deal depending on where you live and, and the particular soils, and you don't want to put lime on unless you know you need lime because you can actually do more harm than good. So sometimes the soil test is good, and there are a few minerals and things that, that in some cases are, are, are very helpful. But as a general rule, uh, all this about, you know, these plants will grow twice as big as other plants, uh, it's, 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 in fact, we've done some stories on, um, in Mother Earth News about the costs of organic fertilizers, and the prices that people are paying for those, those fertilizers are just ridiculous. They'd be far better off if they needed a nitrogen fertilizer to go to the feed store and buy 50 pounds of alfalfa meal. Uh, if they buy it in a packaged organic fertilizer in small quantities, they're paying 10 times as much for it as they need to. Well, I love how resourceful your recommendations are about using what you have around. I think that it is it is inherently organic, <laughs> for lack right, of a right. for lack of a better word, and that really is what your expertise is and where you're coming from. I mean, Mother Earth News is part of Ogden Publications, which is a, a group of sustainability focused publications. So you're really coming from the place of this is resourceful, this is natural, this is healthful. Right. Do you have a winter prep article in storage or something that, that you will publish at um, Mother Earth News for, you know, how to make your own compost? Uh, you're, you're right. Uh, even if you pick up just one bucket full of horse manure from the horse stable um, in your town or, you know, however you can get your hands on some green manure, that will be way enough food for your winter garden and could serve both as food and as a as a cover, as a mulch, as a mulch at the right, same time. Right. Um, we have a lot of articles on our website about uh, winter gardening and season extension and uh, the best varieties. We just finished a piece nice. uh, about the, the best varieties for winter growing in, in many parts of the country. Turnips, as I mentioned, spinach, kale are, are top choices. I'd like to, could I, if I could, I'd like to talk about one of my favorite cover crops. <laughs> sure. It's not one that you read about much. It's called Austrian winter peas. And they look just like regular peas, but they're much more cold tolerant. And they, they are a legume, so they produce nitrogen when they are growing in the soil, which is a good thing. 
but they're delicious as a salad addition. Oh, really? um, Great tip. Pea tips that just are very crunchy. They taste almost like you know the peas themselves. Um, and uh, I've been able to grow them uh, all through the entire winter uh, here in here in Kansas. And do they grow well in most climates? Wow. I think they would do fine in 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 any region, even in the north. If if you gave them again, if you gave them some protection, um, they would probably do well at least until it got really bitter cold. I don't know for sure how they do in the in the in the south, but I would expect they would probably do fine. Lovely. I love that dual purpose cover cropping and providing something delicious exactly. for your salad. Exactly. And that's yeah. and Aust- that's Austrian really win- Austrian winter peas. They'll probably have to search for them online. I've I've never seen them. No, in but that's store. I love that. It's great because um you know the the classic cover crop in in real agriculture um has become a cash crop too. More and more farmers right. grow right. something that fixes the nitrogen in the soil and provides a cover and you know, feeds the soil and yet creates some kind of bean that now, um, you know, is brought to market and it's actually yummy. Exactly. We are coming yeah. back to those funny legumes that you haven't seen in the marketplace that actually came back through cover cropping with them. Um, and you can absolutely grow a cover crop even in your home garden uh, on, on very little space or even in your planter box. You're saying that's the, the less expensive way of doing it and, and much more healthy for your soil. Um, Cheryl, this is a lovely topic, and it's clear um, that there's an endless amount of inspiration and information. Um, we have to refer to Mother Earth News for more information. Um, unfortunately, we're out of time with you right now, but thank you for joining us today. It's lovely to you. <laughs> it feels exciting, just oh, as with our pleasure. gardening show in April, and this is you know October. <laughs> Yeah, We're I talking just gardening. I, I just planted seven beds yesterday. So oh, did you? <laughs> in oh, Kansas, yeah. uh, that's just, wow, that's wonderful. Thank you, Cheryl, for being with us today. Um, that's Cheryl Long, editor in chief, Mother Earth News. Again, MotherEarthNews.com for more information. Who joined us today from Topeka, Kansas? Pleasure. Thank you, Cheryl. You're listening to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. and I'm Sitarani Palomar. And um, yeah, this hour dedicated to putting your garden to bed or not, as we just learned, valuable preparations for winter and spring, whether you grow things or you let it rest. Um, we'll be right back with more on that. Stay tuned. It's a game, and so is work. And just like any game, sometimes your team is in a slump. Maybe it's a new team. Maybe there's conflict. Maybe you're under pressure to keep up with your own success. Whatever it is, it is time to get your game face on. The ultimate game of work combines game design with executive coaching to create high-engagement workplaces. Boost your team's creativity and performance by designing the game you want to play and win together with the ultimate game of work. Enticed? Learn more at ultimategameofwork.com. Are you a chef, have a catering business, or planning a party, or simply just love organic produce? If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, walk right in to Earl's Organic Produce. Anyone can buy directly from us at wholesale prices. You don't have to be a natural food store to enjoy the freshest and most delicious organic produce. We are located on the San Francisco Produce Market at 2101 Gerald Avenue. We look forward to seeing you. Walk-in hours are Monday through Friday throughout the night from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. Minimum purchase is one box or flat, cash or checks only. For more information, visit earlsorganic.com. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. And I'm Helga Helber. And I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palmar. Our topic in this hour, putting your garden to bed, valuable preparations for winter and spring. Amazing. Great interview. Amazing. Because, Sita, you were right when we started this hour. We were saying, you know, you, you prepare your beds early in spring. You... You uh, plant your vegetables, 
and then early summer, midsummer, and then of course August and September you harvest, and then you walk away and you yeah, start right. from scratch. Actually, in in March and April again, depending on where you live in the country or in this world, um, not so. Well, and part of why I think this was so important to cover right now is because we had such a good show on gardening back at, right before the spring season, yeah, and I know we got great feedback from our listeners that it inspired them to plant a lot of fun new edibles and and even just lovely lovely plants in their home. Yes. So now what? I mean, if we're talking about encouraging people to get more active and get their hands in the soil and participate in their food, it's not. It, it is. It is a full cycle, is what it is. It's a full cycle. Right. And what this did for me is first of all it brought it back to that original conversation we were having about stress and it's it's actually was more of a metaphor for me because i learned a lot about the garden but it really made me think about as us and our own gardens which is ourselves is is you have to get ready you know cold weather is coming you know that holidays are coming you know there's things that potentially could cause you stress mm -hmm. and there's a way that you can prepare yourself That's or right. the soil of yourself to actually have a healthier winter which is going to give you a healthier spring less weight i mean see to you talk about this all the time by eating a certain way and eating a meal before you go out to a cocktail party and and how you've always brought this back to the soil and and for me it's just like it was the perfect show right now to kind of tie everything this everything we were talking about into how we tend our own soils yeah you can never walk away until you finally you can never walk, walk away. away yeah, but, yeah. that's right <laughs> up until then put a blanket around your planter box or roll in the whatever that it. means or roll in the continue list. to cultivate <laughs> yeah and have fun I love that. <laughs> great which brings us right to kind of the harvest still because in many areas of the country you can uh, just now start an amazing winter crop and that brings us to vegetables and of course that brings us to mark and here is now uh, our very own Mark Mukehi with What's in Season. Dun, da, da. Mark. <laughs> well, you know, so often, you know, we've just been in the garden. Our minds are in the garden. It's fall. We're kind of got our sweaters on and we're out there raking a few leaves, you know, and we're thinking about maybe eating turnips or potatoes and things like that. But it's also harvest time in the desert. And the interesting thing is one of my favorite things, now I know I say this very often because there's so many things that are my favorite things, but one of my favorite things are fresh dates. And right now is when they're being harvested. Now there are dates all year round. They're really good. You, I gave you each one before the show because you were good today. Um, and But dates, for me, they have this almost erotic, magical, succulent, um, invitational quality that if, Mark, <laughs> if, if you were going to give someone a fruit besides a peach in July, if you were going to give them something and you handed them a fresh date from right now, they would fall in love with you. They would go out. You know that there's that old Roman thing where they used to say in ancient times, if you threw someone an apple and they caught it, then that was a, then they were going to marry you. I guarantee you, you hand someone a date and ask them out on a date, they will go anywhere you say. <laughs> and right now it's time for fresh dates. And there are medjools and black sphinx and barhees and daglet nors and one of the things that I wish more stores did was they would actually have six or eight or 10 different varieties of dates. Cause right now 
people would be falling in love in the aisles of your produce department if you had that that variety of dates. And Helga, you just got to be in the desert, right? I'm still, uh, you helped me at hello. Um, no, yes. Uh, uh, back to me. Um, it's actually sweet when you say, I would like to have a date with you. And, you know, she thinks or he thinks, oh, great. And then you sit down and you have a date with them. Yeah, Lovely. yeah, yeah. Um, yes, I was just down in the desert, Crochali Valley. Um, big shout out to... Uh, my dear friend Warren Weber of Star Out Farms, who grows vegetables in Bolinas in Marin County in Northern California in throughout the summer and um, has fields down in winter so he can offer restaurants year-round production. Uh, he has dates. He grows some dates. And back down there is uh, Palm Springs area, hot, uh, hot, hot, hot right now, still 100 degrees mm -hmm. even, even now, um, big date-growing area. And Amazing. I've never really seen a, in this case, organic, but commercial size date operation. Um, small, but, you know, s several dozen trees, a um, couple hundred trees. 60 maybe. feet high. Yeah, those were maybe, yeah, yeah, exactly. For 30 to 40 feet, but they, they grow up to 60 feet high. They have clusters like, um, you know, massive grapes, grapes times 20. A big grape cluster times 20. Uh, too heavy to carry down in one chunk. They have to use a, a crane. A they have to lift people That's up right. on a crane to pick them. Or in this case, his picker uses a ladder, but he cuts pieces out of that cluster uh -huh. because it's so heavy and they're, you know, they're dripping with sugar. But I actually learned they are harvested um, almost dark yellow yep. or orange, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they're really tart. You can still eat them. They're, they're ripe. They're ready. But they're not the sugar dates, the kind of dark brownish ones that you're used Not to, yet. that you see in the store. But within two, three, four days, they turn that. Mm -hmm. So you can, we had dates that were, you know, dark orange, very tart, puckery. As astringent, is exactly. that? Exactly, astringent. Yeah. Yeah. Because it feels like it's taking the moisture out of your mouth, like an unripe exactly. banana. Yummy, very interesting, in, uh, you know, different, but yummy when you get over not expecting a sugar date. Right. Um, and then... Uh, dates that were kind of converting into the sugar that had like a nice balance between that tart puckery mm -hmm. uh, feel to it, mouthfeel to it, and, and flavor, and a fair sweetness already. That was my favorite. And then, of course, the sugary ones after at least, you know, a week or so, five days, they turn into pure sugar. And it's actually them, in a way, rotting. I mean, they're turning into sugar. That's, you know, uh, and, and it, because they're sugar, then they last for weeks and months and months. And the interesting, interesting part... Interesting piece of produce it's or fruit. Fascinating. It's amazing. And the interesting part of that is they take them then, and the part of the curing process is to actually refrigerate, then nearly freeze them at that low of temperature. And what it does is it creates uh, that cure, right? It also nice. gets rid of pests without having to use pesticides. Sure. And so that's what helps them to last all year long. And so there's there's a couple different types of dates is I mentioned a bunch of varieties, but there's a there's a soft date, which is like a medjool date, like you have in front of you both right now. And then there is also a semi-soft date, like a Daglet Noor. Now, the Daglet Noors you can keep in your pantry in an airtight container, and it'll hold for several months in there. And Sita won't be able to talk now because she's just smiling and eating her date. <laughs> but um, the the med jewels do better in your refrigerator and can actually store in your in your freezer for up to five years and be perfectly fine. Wow. But, five years. But the key thing is while Sita's eating, because I, I want to get a little bit about the medicinal value of these, is they are 
They are truly nature's candy, and they are truly a delight. And you may not, you may have tried a Med Jewel. This is just my last little bit of advice before Sita gives her all of her great advice. Is they are they they are something that if you don't like a Med Jewel, then try a Bar Heat. If you don't like a Bar Heat, try a Deglet Noor. Go out and find some dates because you will find one that you like, and you will come back. Autumn will be like Valentine's Day. All all month long, if you start eating dates, <laughs> I love it. Well, I'm only going to share one thing because we don't have a lot of time, yeah. but we'll make sure to get some tips on Facebook. And also, I know Helga, you have great photos from your trip down to the desert, so you can see the date trees. But the thing that I love the most about dates, other than their caramelly texture, is that they have tryptophan in them, and tryptophan is a precursor to serotonin. It makes us happy and it makes us peaceful. So this is a sugary, sweet treat that you can have that doesn't make you hyper. It, it actually makes you mellow. So it's a great thing to give kids when they get crazy, <laughs> <laughs> when they get hyper. And also, if you put like a, a little cashew or two in it, once you split it open, then it makes it creamy. And it's almost, I don't know, it's almost like eating a cupcake. I Try it. And let me know what you think. <laughs> but... Running Love short it. on Thank time. You. Thank you, Mark. Try some dates. Thank you, Mark. That's great. And season? now it's time for Helga's Organic Moment. Yeah, we all are almost out of time. Uh, you're listening to an Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Okay. And I'm Citarani Palomar. But there is this Helga moment at the end of each show where we, where I talk about what inspired me and uh, what people are doing. And I was inspired by an old fence that I saw. Um, must have been 60, 80 years old. All the colors, the moss, the lichen, beautiful, really standing there, kind of a little bit leaning already, very quiet. Um, it was telling me that it had lots of stories and experience in life, lots of things that fence has seen and kids that you know climbed over it. and. Uh, how to weather a storm, how to get through a drought in life. It reminded me of the importance of age, of old wisdom, of our elders, really, so-called seniors. The word senior actually comes from signore, and it refers to higher in rank and longer in service. I like the word elder myself because, for me, it shows even more respect for life's wisdom that is being held at a higher age, but I really do like higher in rank and longer in service. So I'm asking, where are our elders? Um, honored in so many societies throughout history and um, in this country, we need them for sure on this planet in this time to remind us of value and fairness of what matters in life at the end. To tell us that if you participate in a sports event, and even worse if you're hosting it, that you don't cheat, whether it's biking, running, rowing, or sailing in the America's Cup. To tell us that bullets never solve anything really to remind us of the importance of fair wages and that whoever works hard must get paid well and whoever doesn't work, of course, doesn't get paid, which includes our representatives in Washington. We need the detachment to winning over the other that seems to come with older age, the simple beauty of friends and family gathered at a family outing, good food, a good conversation. I miss the wisdom of the ones that know best because they have lived the longest to guide our lives and our country at the end. Harmony seems to matter the most. I don't know when or why we lose track of that in our lives, but most of us do. Let's reintegrate our seniors, the ones with a higher rank and longest in service into our fabric of life in society. I think there's a lot we can learn from them. And that's my organic senior moment. 
poignant. You're not quite a senior yet, but it was a, an important moment. Uh, uh, you know what? I'm going to look at fences differently from now on. <laughs> I think we're out of time, so thanks for joining us this week, and we'll see you again next week in an organic conversation. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.